So today, we are continuing our theme of belonging as we ask ourselves, who are we? What do we believe in? And today is UU history, um, and next week will be UU theology. So how shall we tell the story of us Unitarian Universalists? If you were asked to describe Unitarian Universalism, what would you say? What words would you use? How would you fill in the blank? We are dot, dot, dot. Liberal. Welcoming. Welcoming. Free thinking. thinking. Inclusive. Inclusive. Covenantal. Covenantal. That's a big word. (laughs) Compassionate. Compassionate. Not Not Christian. Non-credal. We are what? The religion of the founding fathers of this country. A group that believes in walking our talk. Walking our talk is our belief. Traveling together to build a better world. Based on natural law. Diverse. A big tent that welcomes everyone. everyone. Donnie? Talk about your elevator speech, and I think for that, our Dallas license tag would be as good as anything. So we are a reflection of the chalice lighting that we did today, right? With the open hearts and the open mind and the generous hands to show our belief through our work, through our deeds. But I heard a big gasp and murmuring when someone with the color green. But it's not about, um, it's not about apologizing, right? Because that is true. We are that, not Christian, and we are Christian, Right? So we're both. Jennifer, did you want to add something? Seekers, yes. That's a good one. Without dogma. I thought you were saying we love dogs. I was yes. (laughs) And cats. (laughs) We love dogs, but we don't love dogma. How about that? Anyone else? We, we, we care for the earth. We care for the earth. Yes. Yes. What do we believe? Science is real. Black lives matter. No human is illegal. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Water is life. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice Everywhere, And thank you, Jackie, for gifting us this sign. We appreciate this. So what follows is the official story that you will find in brochures everywhere in UU churches. Please stay with me. There are dates and names, and UU history is boring, but stay with me. In 
325 CE, the Roman Emperor Constantine brought church leaders together at Nicaea in Turkey, where they agreed on a single creed to unify the empire. The Nicene Creed held that God was a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Both Unitarianism and Universalism were declared heresies, punishable by excommunication and even death. In 1568, King John Sigismund of Transylvania became a Unitarian and made religious tolerance the law in his land. In the British colonies in America, later the United States, Unitarian and Universalist ideas about God and humanity developed and spread during the 18th century. Still with me? All right. Unitarian ideas turned away from the Calvinist notion that humans are depraved and dependent upon God for salvation and towards embracing the idea that the way we behave on earth determines whether we go to heaven or hell. By 1835, many New England congregations split, often with the Trinitarians withdrawing to start new congregations and leaving the buildings to the Unitarians. Within a decade, the Transcendentalists, a new group that included Ralph Waldo Emerson, criticized the Unitarian churches for being too cold and too orthodox. The transcendentalists preferred a spirituality that nurtured a connection with the natural world. Universalism developed outside of established congregations with the message that God's love is for everyone, no exceptions. Universalists rejected the idea that God would condemn some people to hell. Its news was joyful and hopeful, offering God's unconditional love to everyone. In the 19th century, Unitarians and Universalists created structures to organize their respective denominations. Both Unitarians and Universalists believed in the freedom to think for oneself and valued individual conscience over a shared dogma or creed. Many Unitarians and Universalists believed in creating the kingdom of God on earth, working to provide help for poor people, immigrants, mentally ill people, and others on the margins, as well as working tirelessly for the abolition of slavery and then for women's suffrage. In both religions, women were especially active in providing help and working for a better society. Universalism was the first Christian faith in the United States. Let me read that again. Universalism was the first Christian faith in the United States to ordain women as ministers. And by 1933, Unitarians and Universalists had signed the Humanist Manifesto, which said that human beings, not God, have the responsibility and the challenge to make this world a better place. New discoveries in progressive education and an embrace of the teachings of science and reason alongside with traditional Christian teachings led to a new way of teaching our children. 
advocating active, hands-on learning about the world in religious education classes, embracing stories from all over the world, as well as understandings from science. Then the big merger occurred. In 1961, the Unitarian Universalist Association was born. Over the next few years, the principles and sources were adopted, and by the late 1980s, the flaming chalice came into wide use in our congregations as a symbol of our faith. So this is a very helpful recap, not necessarily the elevator speech that we can remember um, to tell new visitors uh, inquiring about us, but it is a story that grounds us in our diversity, right? And I still wonder when I hear that story, what other stories are there? How many ways of telling our stories are there? What would it be like to interview each and every one of you to learn your views about who we are, who you are, why we are here together? As a minister, as a theologian, and as a faculty member at the Star King School for the Ministry, I'm constantly asked to describe who we are as Unitarian Universalists, describe our history, where we come from, and why we do what we do together. We have UU history textbooks, but I still struggle with telling our story as a single one. I still struggle with perhaps the notion of leaving out someone's story, right? Knowing that our congregations are each very unique with a diversity of experiences. As a minister, part of my responsibility is to know and tell our story, especially to newcomers curious about our church, exploring the possibility of becoming members. What story do I choose to tell on a given Sunday? Do I highlight our social justice work more than our religious and spiritual context and practice? Do I begin by listing the things that we are not? Do I read our church's mission and vision to them? Do I avoid using the words religion, church, faith, God, Christianity, even though they are all part of our history? What story do we tell our children today? Well, I am glad that I'm also an amateur quilter. It comes from my experience of growing up in Chile, learning to tell stories in what we call arpilleras. They're miniature applique quilts illustrating the unofficial stories. They are made in community by many hands, reflecting many stories. In her TED talk about the danger of the single story, author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says, I am a storyteller. I was an early reader. I read British and American children's books. I was also an early writer. Stories where all the characters were white and blue-eyed. They played in the snow, they ate apples, and they loved to talk about the weather. How lovely it was that the sun had come out that day. 
This despite the fact that I had never traveled outside Nigeria. And in Nigeria, we didn't have snow, we ate mangoes, and we never talked about the weather because there was no need to. (laughs) She says what this demonstrates is how impressionable and vulnerable we are in the face of a story. Because I had read books in which all the characters were foreign. I had become convinced that books had to have foreigners in them and things I couldn't personally identify with. But things changed when I discovered African books. I went through a mental shift in my perception of literature. I realized that people like me, she says, girls with the skin the color of chocolate and kinky hair that couldn't be put in a ponytail could also exist. I started to write about things I could recognize. The unintended consequence of the single story was that I didn't know that people like me could exist. It is impossible to talk about the single story without talking about the power to tell that story. She says there is an Igbo word, nkale, that means to be greater than another. Stories, she says, are defined by how they are told and who tells them. Stories are dependent on power. She quotes Palestinian poet Murid Barghouti, who writes, If you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way is to tell their story and to start with, secondly, start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story, right? Start a story with the failure of the African state and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. To insist on only one story flattens the experience and creates stereotypes, and the problem is that it's an incomplete story. There are other stories. It is just as important to talk about them. It is impossible to engage properly with a place or a person without engaging with all of the stories of that place, of that person. And she ends by saying, stories matter. As a minister, theologian, and teacher, I am also a storyteller. Last week, when a new family visited us, I was elated and, of course, wanted to be welcoming and make a good first impression. When they shared that they were practicing Hindus, my mind immediately tried to recall the number of Unitarians in the Kasi Hills of India. Was it 2,000? Was it 5,000? What was that story about? How did it get started? Should I mention that some of the UU churches celebrate Diwali? But the family wanted to know if we had special holiday celebrations during Christmas time. (laughs) And 
In the end, we ended up having a lovely conversation about the meaning of our annual neighborhood event, Las Posadas, how that is solidarity with immigrants and also trying to connect with our neighbors. And then the most beautiful, unexpected blessing happened when they said, would you give a special blessing to our two-month-old baby? And we had had our water ceremony, and you had blessed that water, and in that bowl was the representation of your stories, of your hands, of your commitment to this community. And I thought, this is perfect. And I scooped up some water with one of the seashells, and I made up a blessing right there and then that was universal, that was loving, that was not dogmatic, and that recognized the full potential and beauty of that child, and that recognized our role as members of their village, because they're only two blocks away from us, our role in nurturing that child in whatever way the parents decide that they want us uh, in that circle. I was so happy that the family also decided to participate in our picnic and even go on the boat ride with their uh, baby lab. You know, again, we love dogs. We had four dogs on that boat. And that was welcoming at its best, right? From the greeters, from the ushers, to every one of you who stopped to chat and to welcome them. Of course, the nerd in me Googled UUs in India as soon as I got home and learned that the founder of the movement, Hajam Kisor Singh, arrived at a classic Unitarian theology entirely by himself late in the 19th century. He had no knowledge of Unitarianism. The Kasi Unitarian movement he founded is now the third largest group of Unitarians or Unitarian Universalists in the world. There are 45 congregations with a total of about 10,000 adults and children. I learned something new, right? What a story. And I wonder how a person from India, from those congregations, would tell their story. When I started seminary in 2004, the UUA president was William Sinkford, the first African-American to be elected to that post. Reverend Sinkford himself wrote about the importance of stories. Our story as Unitarian Universalists in the book, A People So Bold, recalling the Unitarian Universalist presence as part of the civil rights movement, the martyrdom of Reverend James Reeb and lay leader Viola Liuzzo, and UUA President Dana Greeley marching with Dr. King. Reverend Sinkford writes, UUs have chosen these events as a foundational story about our faith and its engagement with race. It is a success story. It makes us feel good. Our faith answered the call. We were just, we were brave, and we were innocent. We retell this story to ourselves and to our children. We are happy to claim many other stories with similar characteristics. In the 1850s, Theodore Parker preached with a loaded gun by his side to defend fugitive slaves in his sanctuary. 
1992, a racial and cultural diversity resolution passed unanimously, and in 2001, he writes, I was selected the first African-American to head a predominantly white denomination, a story we are happy to tell. These are stories of courage, of success, of moral clarity on the cutting edge of the cause of justice. They make us feel good about ourselves. The difficulty is not claiming these stories as part of our history, our identity, our definition of who we are as a religious people. Since these stories are true, we should know them and even allow ourselves to be proud. The difficulty is that there are so many other stories about our faith's engagement with race that we do not claim. There was widespread Unitarian Universalist opposition to the abolition of slavery, too. The UU Church in Atlanta, Georgia, refused to admit African-American members in the 1950s, and the association had to close the church. Key leadership refused the inclusion of anti-racism as an important mission-based priority in the 1990s. Of all the stories we have incorporated into our identity as a people, perhaps the most important is the black empowerment controversy that began in 1968 at the UUA General Assembly, where they passed a resolution proposed by the UU Black Caucus awarding one million in reparations for black economic development, which never materialized. Walkouts ensued. Congregations and families were bitterly torn apart. Many blacks, including Reverend Sinkford, left the faith feeling betrayed. He writes, you can see why we dislike that story. It is a story of conflict, of failure, not success. We saw one another as enemies. The question of who stood on the side of justice was a matter of genuine disagreement. This story does not make us feel good, and we do not want to revisit it. I do believe, he writes, that we have to claim both as part of our heritage. We need a story that will allow us to move into a multicultural future in which racial and cultural identity is often complex. Younger UUs have always grown up with racial diversity, some of our congregations have embraced this multicultural future. We need to make room in our story, not just for past successes and failures, but for the challenges of our current context. What is our story right here in this community about UUism and race? What story do we need? UUs need to reclaim a story of struggle, a story that can name our successes and failures, our courage and our cowardice, our sacrifices and our privilege. That story will be aspirational, for at times we have retreated from the call of justice, yet over the long haul we have always re-engaged. Our story of struggle is grounded in our faith, our values and tradition, taking the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the fundamental reality of our interconnectedness, not as idle phrases, but as calls to action. 
This story of struggle will not only put our history in perspective, but empower us to face the challenges of the days ahead. We need a story that can bring us together. The story we tell as a people is our choice. May we choose well. Beloveds, we are united in our broad and inclusive outlook and in our values as expressed in our seven principles. We are united in shared experience, our open and stirring worship services, religious education, rites of passages, our work for social justice, our quest to include the marginalized, our expressions of love. We create change in ourselves and in the world. You use live our faith by doing. Whether in community with others, we know that active, tangible expressions of love, justice, and peace are what make the difference. Embracing peace, love, and understanding that goes beyond individual belief systems, we are creators of positive change in people and in the world. I would say that we are brave, we are curious, and we are compassionate thinkers and doers. We are diverse in faith, ethnicity, history, and spirituality, but aligned in our desire to make a difference for the good. We have a track record of standing on the side of love. We have radical roots and a history as self-motivated spiritual people. We think for ourselves and recognize that life experience influences our beliefs more than anything else. We need not think alike to love alike. We are people of many beliefs and backgrounds, people with religious backgrounds, people with no religious background, people who believe in God, people who don't, people who let the mystery be. We are Unitarian Universalists and Buddhists and Christians and Hindus, and humanists, and Jewish, and Muslim, and pagan, atheist, agnostic, believers in God, and so much more. On the forefront of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer inclusion for more than 40 years, we are people of all sexual orientations and gender expressions. And we seek to welcome you, your whole self, with all your truths and your doubts, your worries, and your hopes. We are here on an extraordinary adventure of faith. Please continue to journey with us and share your story. Amen. <laughs>